now we're recording. Now we're doing it. Oh baby, it's it's that time again. It's Franco time. We're really it's cooking right now. Just when you think you might have had enough, some of you, you've not had nearly enough. We've only just begun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's we're gonna take this to some interesting heights with some interesting things along the way, but we are... We finally arrived at uh, one of the things I'm most excited for, which is let's turn the sleaze up another couple notches. <laughs> Getting a little sleazy today. <laughs> I hope you've checked with your spouse to make sure it's okay to listen to. Oh, yeah. The, they're, look, guys, across the board, almost without fail... That guy's not allowed to watch any Franco movies. <laughs> Except actually the first one we'll talk about. So shout out to him for this first one when we get into it. He can watch that one. Yeah, this poor TikTok husband. <laughs> free free our man. <laughs> let, let his porn addiction flourish. <laughs> He's a... God, just cl- classic cookie jar stuff. If that dude is not allowed to see... Uh, boobs in any context I promise you the porn he watches is like truly life endingly horrific <laughs> that dude watches the kind of stuff that I wish I didn't even know existed that's true he's probably going to some crazy horrific like, yeah. <laughs> horrific he's, he knows how to use a VPN let's just say that <laughs> well speaking of which of titillation and horrificness we are going to get into some real juice today, but for honoring this guy on TikTok that we keep talking about. Sorry for people who don't know what we're talking about, but it's out there. Anyway, like Will said, this guy is safe to watch our very first film today. And uh, we're going to speed through this one because this is not the best way to start. <laughs> and I actually got Will agreed on this one. So, you know, we're in for the real dregs of the Franco filmography. <laughs> yeah. What's our uh, what's our first movie, Jen? All right, let's do it. So first up from 1972 shot in June, not released until July of uh, 74. And that is a 15-year-old captain. Yep. This is, the, uh, this is Jess Franco's first and only one of two children's films in his entire career. I am excited to get to the other one. We'll have some fun. But uh, this is about a kid who's always wanted to be a captain of a ship. And he gets his chance with some nefarious slave traders. Uh, you know, because kids' movies. This is based on the Jules Verne book. That also sucks, for the record. (laughs) The source material is not good. Um, Really, I don't know about you, but when I when I first I remember so vividly when I first heard of this movie, I was so excited because I was like, why did no one tell me that I'm going to have a great time? Like when I found out that Fulci did (laughs) a couple of arguably kids movies with the White Fang entries that are awesome. Arguably kids movies. But you know, like it did as a straightforward, like for general audiences, kids are not, because this one also is not for kids. (laughs) No, 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 it's not, but not in the way that like his White Fang or a challenge to White Fang are, although those are, 
Now that we're talking about some good movies there. Unfortunately, this is because I'm like you. I was excited. I was like, I'm getting like vibes of like Moonfleet or something like that. Maybe like I hope that's what this is. (laughs) And then you press play on it, and it's from the jump. Yeah, I mean, there's some interesting exotic location stuff that I like. I mean, I'm always a sucker for that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Overall, I'm going to have to go ahead and say in the stinker pile. I mean, there's not much to really, we don't, that's it. The music is good. Um, I think it's fun, uh, a little bit to see some of Franco's regulars acting in this movie. I mean, cause Howard Vernon is a slave trader, so that's fun. And they use the music from Devil's Island Lovers and Justine. So yeah. that's also fun. And then the final thing I have to say that is that Justine Kim score is getting used so, so much. much. So much. <laughs> we have the, I guess, my final words on this the kid's name is Dick Sand. So that's fun. That's it. Yeah. But I do yeah. hope, I do hope Severin, their, their Severin kids sublabel does release this because i i would truly like to see it looking nice and with proper subtitles not from dvdlady.com yeah i mean it it could look better and that might help but and that's going to actually haunt a lot of the films we're going to talk about today is they're in need of some serious restoration so let's move on let's move on to the next film in 1972 that is going to be probably the most contentious film for us no i won't be don't worry Okay, you were only scaring me by pretending. Oh, yeah. Well, I like to fuck with you a little on this journey. Um, but this yep. is the first film when Jess Franco started his own production company called uh, Films Monacoa. And this yep. was the kickoff movie. <laughs> what a way to kick it off in the dullest, you know, you know, like completely rubbed down to the bone way. Like this is just. Yeah, it's it's uh, called uh, Un Silencio de Tumba, shot in autumn of 72. Didn't uh, come out in Madrid until 1976. Sat on the shelf for four years, and sometimes you understand why this one might have sat on the shelf. This, is, <laughs> this would have been perfect to put in one of those, uh, by a certain label's Forgotten Jolly box sets. Oh, it is not as no. You're wrong. It is not as what. It is not. Is not about those. Do you think that those are in there? No, there's only one movie in all five of those that's truly horrible. So we'll return to this another time. We have bigger fish. There's also only like two that are stellar. So I will. Okay, all right. I'm good. All right, we've we've hit a little bit. I would even say there might be three. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah. Let's do it right now. Here's my here's my here's my not. We are still find your killer. Here find your killer. Oh, all right, fine. We'll, we'll come do back that another that. time. But, but we're we're in about Agatha Christie. We're in yeah. a thing that lots of Giallo filmmakers did, and almost every filmmaker working at this time did, which was do Agatha Christie's correctly, mercifully retitled uh Ten Little Indians, uh, or and then there were none. Um, which I'm a sucker for always. It's one of my favorite, favorite things on the planet are adaptations of that. This is one of the absolute worst. If you watched Five Dolls for an August Moon and thought, you know, there was actually quite a bit to like in that, I'd like to remove all of that. 
I'd like it to be duller. I'd like the twist at the end to make zero <laughs> sense. And not even in a fun way. It's just dumb. No, it's it's just dumb. dumb. It's really like, like towards the end before the twist, I would say this is the only time this movie gets any real blood coursing through its veins when like a giallo murder is about to happen at the very end of the movie. But up until that point, these are the most dull kills for a genre that you come to expecting, like not even necessarily gore, but just like some sense of delirium. And this is, uh, as we know, Franco is good with that. This is not that film. It could have used some serious, uh, some serious other work. His cameraman, I just want to point out, because we're going to venture into this territory soon, is a man named Javier Perez Zofio. He worked on Justine and Count Dracula. He'll return for something we're going to get to a little later, but he also shot two Paul Nashi films, or three Paul Nashi films. The Werewolf and the Vampire Woman, Horror Rises from the Tomb, and The Devil's Possessed, which are some of the better Paul Nashi films. So it's and also some of the best looking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Werewolf and the Vampire Woman is a luminously uh, autumnal looking film. I, I do love the look of that movie, but you're not getting any of that here. I mean, you're getting some like <laughs> so drab. It's really weird. It is really all I have to cling to is because it becomes so much more prevalent in his movies as we get closer to the 80s stuff um, is guitar noodling, acoustic guitar noodling. And there is some good, I love a, I love a random dude just playing Spanish guitar softly for no reason. And we get that in this. I like the whisper kills, except the kills suck. But the whisper like leading up to it, I like that. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely reminds you of better movies where the killer whispers it's just weird. It's just weird. It doesn't, yeah. Well, it doesn't work for whatever reason. Nothing really comes together. It yeah. Is a, it's a bummer. Yeah. He's and I, I think it's actually worse than 15 year old captain. Um, yeah. Really I also, if you do watch 15 year old, one thing it does use real whaling stock footage. So look out for that. If you don't want to watch a beautiful whale literally die in front of you. Yeah, but if you're also one of those people who loves like um, Lucino Visconti, yeah. what's that film where he where all the tuna gets murdered in, the, in that great? Oh, yeah, which one is that? Well, whatever. It's another beautiful movie. You'll you'll be fine. With- you know, it's those cut-ins from Senso. That's the one. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, animal. The way animals are treated could be a lot worse in Spain at this time. Maybe we'll talk eventually about a movie called The Hunchback of the Rue Morgue, but I just hate to say that if you like uh, rats, even think they're a little bit cute, this movie uh, literally sets them on fire on screen. So we're more rats than Herzog did with his (laughs) Nosferatu remake. (laughs) Yeah, this is, you know... We're just going to move past these first two because he's going to get a better shot at doing the kind of giallo thing later. But before we get there, we arrive at one of my favorite stops on this train. A movie begging for a restoration. It might kill people, though. The power, the truly unsettling power that this movie has, it really, and it's been a couple years since I watched it, but it fucked me up proper 
the downer. Oh, I mean, we're we're into some. This is downer day. <laughs> yeah, that's why. That's why I'm so excited. It's my favorite. My favorite guest is here. And this this movie is called uh, Lace a Brown Lace, which translates loosely as The Shakers. <laughs> yeah, part of a series you do called The Swallowers, The Gobblers, and now yeah. The Shakers. Oh, and this uh, uh, before we get into it, it should be said this one is um, in theory there are there is a different version of this too with more stuff, a little more fleshed out. But this is all that exists that's left. Yes. Anyone knows. Um, yeah, it shot in December of 72 and it didn't uh, get released till another year. As we're going to see, this is the, you know, or a couple of years, 74. So this is why these things get a little jumbly with Franco because, <laughs> but like we remind you, we are going in order technically of when he shot all of these, but. And this is a uh, just revisiting. A character named Al Pereira, but uh, this time it seems as if maybe Jess felt the way some people feel about characters like Al or characters like James Bond or whoever it may be, and was like, you know, really at the core, these guys are just like horrible pieces of shit. <laughs> and uh, I think we're gonna explore that one a little this time. So Al, this time is uh, let go of Interpol. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's not working for anybody. This is a free agent, if I've ever seen one. Mm -hmm. And uh, he is, uh, I mean, really, he's just, you know, trying to fuck everyone. But he is trying to figure out uh, some drug trafficking stuff that is happening at a super secret private club called the House of Vice. Um, And yeah, that's basically uh, how it all kind of kicks off. He um knows these women uh that work at this awesome club where all sorts of uh, debaucherous dancing goes down and he asks one of them to take him to the house of ice and he gets knocked out and then blindfolded and then wakes up at the house of ice and this crew of amazing ladies is like get your nose out of our shit trust us and then we go from there and yeah. um oof. Yeah, this is a Franco movie, 100%. And I guarantee if this thing got restored, boy, would this thing look good. I don't know if it will. I really hope. I would, right now, truly, this might be the one that if I was a rich person, I would put money towards trying to find and restore. That would be part, I would either do that for this one or for another one we're going to get to today, but uh, uh, it's a tough, tough toss up, but uh, I, I am with you. I really, I really dug what I could literally, like literally view of this through the horrible copy that exists on the internet that feels as seedy as the movie is. And, oh, it's kind of perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But I just know that boy, when this thing, it's going to pop. Because yep. there's like you got some major Franco moments. You've got a red light. Sedition. You're literally called the Red Room. There's the red- a thing in this movie called the Red Room. Yeah, in yeah. a move, in a referencing a potential show that deals with a secret house of vice of its own. Yep. They keep the pieces just keep really stacking up uh, towards the fact that this is his favorite filmmaker. It's I- really ridiculous. <laughs> This has been the most shocking revelation. And this isn't some like we're pulling this out of our ass. Like this gets and there's even more to get to today that'll reference this. But it's like, holy shit. No, I think David Lynch was 100 percent watching these movies. 
at least seeing them in theaters when they came out and perfect for a filmmaker who doesn't like to reveal his sources and influences. So no one's going to call him out. No um, one's going to call him out, but we are. We see you, Davey. Right. This movie, um, the some of the Al Pereira parts, I will say, if you're watching it, uh, they're not great. They, they can be a little clunky when we're doing a little bit of exposition and all that. But thankfully, the longer you stay with this movie, the more time you realize you are being pulled, whether you like it or not, into the Red Room, which is a, a very intensely literal hell uh, of like so the most extreme vice stuff we've seen up to this point in Franco's movies, I would say. Um, and not just in like what we're seeing, but also how it's being shown and the vibe, because there is no one. It's not fun. <laughs> it's, just, oh. it's really a certain scene in the red room is the one that I, I, yeah, I'd seen this before, but it straight up took my breath away. And that's the one that Jess is in. He's in that scene. And it's also featuring his, electric piano score in that scene oh the score uh, the score is incredible which is amazing but we get uh do you just get like if you wanted to if you have a friend who will only watch things if they're extreme you can bullet point this one for them <laughs> Very yeah easy. i mean yeah we're not going to spoil the ending of the movie but the movie no. is- i have to talk about it a little but i won't spoil it yeah no i mean it's it's downbeat and i think uh it could be a little misconstrued in a maybe like out of fashion kind of like old way of looking at certain things about society. But I don't think that's what's going on. I, in fact, it, I only thought that after the movie, but when it happened, I was fully on board with what happened, you know, and was like, Jesus Christ, that's a, that's a hell, a hell of a way to end a movie right there. It's amazing. And it, yeah, without spoiling it, um, there, yeah, there's a, a, a trope that happens sometimes in movies that is technically put to use here, but it is not um, used in a way that people on the internet will tell you that it is. Um, this is the first time this specific subject comes up in Jess's world, and it actually comes up a lot, and it's also almost always handled in a really interesting and arguably progressive way i would say yeah almost almost always um but yeah truly a a, oh this fucking movie the one i just just to tantalize people a little because since we're trying to avoid so much so we don't spoil the journey i will just say uh you do get to see it's probably a stunt double but you do get to see howard vernon's penis and even his butthole for a minute which is weird but that's I think that is I think that is Howard Vernon's like penis and asshole because he's shown his penis before. But not like that. <laughs> no, not like that. <laughs> not like that. Um, no, some told me he was like, maybe this movie will never get seen. I just think he was on that trip, man. They were just making so many movies nonstop. I think he's just having the time of his life because he's like, wait, I get to keep hanging out with all these hotties making these crazy movies. Yes, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He what a jackpot for an actor. <laughs> yep. It's true. So um, I, I got to call out Callie Hanza, um, who does one of the strip tease numbers in this movie, which those, by the way, there are four performances and they build so integral to the plot that, again, by the time you get to the third and fourth performance, they will knock the wind out of you. They are so strong, <laughs> even in this horrible version. They're so beautiful. And we get a weird we get do get that weird 
thing that Jess does where maybe he's defending incest though. So <laughs> hey, you know. Uh, you know what? I bet he he has a he has a refute to that notion coming up later. But um let's move on to another very, very downbeat movie uh, that thankfully is available in a really nice restoration. Um it looks pretty good. And this is Sinner, the Secret Diary of a Nymphomaniac, which was shot like apparently like right after this last one we were talking about. Yeah, had a lot of trouble with the uh the censor offices, didn't really get its big um, Spanish release until honestly, Spain was like 1979. So it was like seven years after that it got its premiere in Spain, but then it did premiere in France, I believe, like a couple months after it was shot. So yeah, this is, and you can almost understand why. This is a movie that is very straightforward for Jess. There's maybe a little moments that do kind of dip into like. Oh yeah, there's there are things. The opening, um, the opening that, starts like you're going to get a really hardcore Jess movie. But, and well, you will to a certain degree. I think part of uh, why it feels that way, and I think it's to its strength. Because normally, you know, we're very much on the same page that our favorites are the ones when it's just full tilt Jess, right? But I think this is one of the only times that it uh, was multiple voices in the room. And I think it is a great thing. Um, I think this is one of his masterpieces. It's just very different than the others that we call a masterpiece. But uh, the producer he's working with, I don't know how to say it, but Robert Denezel, Denezli, I don't know how to say French. Um, But his, his wife. Uh, Ledoux, Elizabeth Ledoux is her name. She wrote the dialogue and did the adaptation yep. for this. Um, I think that only adds to its strength because this is a, a tried and true money making story in, uh, for the time, except it's very different from all of the others uh, around this subject. And that is about a that is about uh, a young woman who faced um, abuse when she was a teenager at the hands of a gross older dude in a horrifying scene on a um, uh, Ferris wheel. Oh, that's an that awful scene. scene. That's an, I mean, it's amazingly shot. It's like oh, it's horrible. Cause the sound yeah. design too is yeah, really, sound really awful done by again, Gerard Kikwan, um, who Jess is working with almost every movie at this point, he's doing editing and sound editing. Uh, but anyway, so she gets abused when she's young and it is about her journey after that basically what happens the things that she gets into falls into a world again of you know seediness um i think it's best always forget the word sinner because that was added to sell it more later right it doesn't have a religious yeah there's no religious overtone to this movie this is probably what makes the movie so fresh yes and it's it is the reason i think it's so different from all the others in that very popular style of film is in my opinion this is up to this point, the I think the loudest, most out and out, very feminist film that Franco made that is about truly a thing that he has addressed before this point. But this one, I think, with the help of Elizabeth Ledoux, is very much just like, here are these women who uh, experience things and are making choices as a result of those things. And the thing that kicks it off um, for them are 
a thing that a lot of you know young women have experienced a bad encounter with a shitty dude and it's kind of amazing how well balanced this thing stays and the way that it ends because it for it's again it's weird in franco but it really never tips fully into even exploitation i would say which is odd for this that, uh, really just the opening kind of signals that maybe it's going to go there and then it it really doesn't it it instead takes like this kind of sadistic suffering of these female characters that we've been accustomed to watching with this kind of like perverse cinematic joy in that we're he's you know he's purposely trying to strike a chord between titillation and horror but he also knows it's a movie and you're watching people have fun on set which he makes very clear in movies like succubus and exorcism stuff like that and instead is really just not giving you any of those things that he works with normally he's giving it to you very raw very real it hurts as a result this is a really it's beautiful in a lot of ways and i do think it also has um you know a moment or two of a little bit of relief but for the most part it's just really sad and very interesting to watch all the women in the film too because that's also what's amazing it's it's not just the main character everybody's pretty well developed and very interesting yeah, uh, Montserrat Proust in this movie is fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the lead, and she's one of those actors that Jess is so great at finding that although there is a lot of dialogue in this one, but it's good for once. Um, she can get the true like despair and just sadness that she's experiencing across without saying anything with her body language in her eyes, and it's oh, it's so good this is something that you're also going to see kind of reworked with Jess. Like you're going to see this very, a little bit of its structure, a little bit of the character going to interview somebody and gain a story about them repeated through female vampire through Doriana gray. These are, you know, he's, he's really gathering certain things right now that are going to keep being repeated. And, this is also kind of a tribute in many ways to one of his uh, mentors and, inf- you know, influences in life, Orson Welles. This is very much modeled in the structure of Citizen Kane. Like, yeah, I think very consciously he's trying to apply oh, that. Sure. Yeah. But he, without spoiling it for folks who have not seen it, the very powerful and amazing and surprising way that this ends is also very aware of how Citizen Kane ends. And I think it only plays to the strength um of using that as a model for this yeah because god it's just so beautiful it's just so beautiful yeah i agree so well yeah we'll real really highly uh recommend this movie especially if you're looking for something a little different a little more tethered to the ground in the jess not a, if you're in the mood to like you know fucking get psychedelic and party with the jess movie this is not the one but if you want to watch a really like hard hitting but incredibly well made and very unique i think uh drama about how you know people try to find love when they experience horrible things at a really young age yeah. it's one of the best i agree and we're going to move on to the next film this one's now was attempted to be shot by uh his films manacoa uh, this was a movie called Relaxed Baby that did not get finished or released. So 
Um, what's important here for a couple things is we're telling we're kind of mapping out how Jess is still dealing with the loss of Soledad. Sinner is definitely one of these, and Les Abranlis are very much these like angry, like screaming into the void kind of films, you know, that are clearly haunted by a certain bleakness in his life. But with Relaxed Baby, so here's what's interesting. Sometimes Howard Vernon, when Howard Vernon would shoot these movies, like in Sinner, Howard Vernon was the uncredited still photographer. So Howard Vernon's not in this next movie. It's like the the, the universe is aligning and it's late of 72 they are getting ready to shoot this movie and he brings in his still photographer that isn't howard vernon named ramon ardid and uh he is married to a woman who is going to stop by the set she's popped in a few times but i want to get her name she's 18 year old theater actress named rosa maria amiral you're like, who the fuck's that? Oh, I know everything know about Jess Franco. Who the fuck is that? Give it a couple years. That name is going to be changed to the name Lena Romay. Now, you better put put a post-it note up for Lena Romay because this show is about is very much going to become the Jess Franco Lena Romay show. It was one of the one of the most interesting uh, collaborations, truly in movie history. I think is theirs. Yeah, the, the you know, like we pointed out, he is in a weird place right now after losing his main star. So he's tried lots of different leading actresses to sometimes better, lesser degrees yep. of success. But well, he's amazing at at finding incredible people at every turn. Though it's crazy how many like stellar actors and actresses come through yeah and and so obviously i think our deed uh this guy ramon our had been working off and on with franco since vampiros lesbos so he might have been bringing his young wife around uh well, they, met, they met only at this time right they they, this is where they re- well this is where they had their first conversation it's they've yeah. definitely met before because she was in erotic rights oh yeah so they definitely met before. But so it is on this shoot where Franco is in a hotel and he steps into his elevator and there is Rosa Maria Almiral. This is, as, you know, as good as love gets. So Franco renames her uh, Lena Romay after a 30s, 40s uh, Mexican-American actress and singer. And he writes this young woman apart into his movie now at this point who knows what's going on i think they're just having some fun conversations there's some little flirting going on i think it's just the same as all like my, the majority of his leading ladies at this point where he's like wow you are fucking magnetic please be in my movies and then yep. and then he's like weird also i just only want to talk to you now <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's he he digs this person. I think he sees something there. So he's relaxed. Baby doesn't get sh- uh, finished. We don't know what happened to it. We he don't said re- it was horrible and stressful that she was terrible at it and really freaked out. <laughs> yeah. So I think for many reasons this was just shelved, and he decided to move on to his next movie in the spring of 1973. And I'm going to tell you the title. Don't get too excited, but also don't get too worried. (laughs) And this is 
I guess you could say a follow-up. This is The Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff. So the original title is just Eyes of Dr. Orloff. They yep. added the sinister to try to sell more tickets. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Lena's in this. She plays a very small role of the of a really shitty folk singer's like girlfriend. Who is some of the worst dubbing in the history of cinema. Oh, awesome. in this movie. It's better than you might think. Now, when I saw this movie very young, thinking I was watching the follow-up to Dr. Orloff, you're not really. What you are watching is kind of that, but it's also, I think in many ways, you could say him getting a little bit better at, at the Giallo. I think, like, yeah. Yeah. he was good at He really showed how he could do it with Dracula's daughter, and I think he's getting a little closer to that. You know, it's one of those classic, like, um, woman might be insane and the family is trying to keep her in bed all the time. They they tell her that she's an invalid and she can't get out of bed. Can't so walk. She, like full on full on can't walk. So she's just having a, a series of dreams over the course of the movie that may or may not be related to her new physician, a man named Dr. Orloff. And uh murders get committed and Spoiler, of course, Dr. Orloff is using his mind hypnosis. But what I used to see is kind of a lesser film back in the day. This new watch on this brand new remaster in 4K really softened my opinion on this movie. Is it exactly so what you want? So no. happy. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Well, I was truly really sad when it came up. When you said you didn't like it, I was like, what? Oh, come on. So I'm really happy. Really happy. Yeah. I mean, I, I was I was shocked that it is way closer to a Jess film than I had remembered it. Uh, there's one scene in particular uh, with the chauffeur in the car out in the fog where he double exposes the fog over the film. Oh, it's Beautiful. It's, it's, it's amazing. And there's just it is a little more straightforward for him. I will say he's definitely trying to be a little. uh I think he's trying to show off a little bit of professionalism with his new film company. But yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I, I would say, like, if you've gone along this far with us and you're digging where we are, then I don't think the sinister eyes of Dr. Orloff is going to be that much of a letdown for you. I think it, you'll find a lot to like in this movie, even though it's, it's not perfect, but this is a good example of when the lesser Jesses can can be well better than Silence of the Tomb. <laughs> I think I I think this one also gets missed for how much there is to chew on. Um, because the thing we'll talk about with the last movie of today's episode um is that Jess is is uh, endlessly and I think compulsively fascinated with father daughter relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, of all varieties and uh what that can result in throughout a child's life and this one i think actually has a lot there um it's on the periphery but it sticks with you because the way this movie opens is really like i think uh actually very unsettling because we get the perspective of a child and jess franco playing her father just like Hulk, and it's really hazy. Like it's really hard to see, even not because the quality it's supposed to be that way, 
but it's like really hazy and he's just like drooling a little bit of blood uh, yeah and, like, it's very horrible it's, sounds it are starts happening. very franco like it it's starts really, like deep really in the franco verse yeah yeah and it and evens get, out yeah 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 but we do we dip we dip back in throughout i think um yeah. Yeah, the I think one of the one of the things that maybe doesn't help this movie though, outside of the murder scenes, which Jess does all the piano for, and they're fucking stellar, amazing. The rest of the music is a little um, bipolar to make this movie work because it's the like hippie noodling <laughs> again. Oh, that fucking fun. song. That and I love seeing like the hippies, but yeah, there's like some hippie noodling that doesn't do any favors for this movie. Um, but you know, otherwise, otherwise I think it's, I think if you think about the, the obsessions and how much Jess is interested in, um, the effect parents have on children, um, this one's pretty interesting. And Robert Woods, this is his first role. He was a yeah. big dude in Westerns coming off Bell Star story. I think is what he did right before this. Yes. It was the Bell uh, Star story. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he's fun, like, oh, great movie, but his, his interview about this. Is great because he's like, no, I was obsessed with Jess. He's amazing. Like, I, I wanted to work with him because we just never stopped and it was so much fun. He was like, but I was always a little skittish with him because I didn't want to be any of those sexy movies. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but he's great. Uh, Robert Woods is great. And again, this is starring Montserrat Proust, who is, I think, in my opinion, one of the most undersung people of the Jess verse because I think she's really stellar. I think she's great and she's good in this and she's better in this than Silence of the Tomb. So, yes, yeah. Well, really, she has something to do. Like, she, that's she's it. Really given like a House of Psychotic Women dream role here and she kills it. It's yeah, really, she, it's really lovely. And the way, and the way this one ends is pretty, is pretty fun too. Works out. Yeah. It all works out. <laughs> it works. I, I, to point out just the last things here, uh, Jess Franco. And her father, his name's Lord Comfort. Yeah, Lord Comfort. So Once sick. again, stealing from me. That's my, that's my. <laughs> in the winter time, I'm Lord Comfort. Oh. Sir Hen Sir John Comfort. <laughs> There's a lot of funny shit. There's also a a weird like uh, dig at Lawrence Welk in that movie yeah. that I never noticed before that made me giggle pretty hard. So that's fun. <laughs> Yeah, so there you go. Uh, we get a recommendation for that, but we're about to get an even oh. bigger recommendation coming up here with a movie he shot back to back, clearly, with Sinister Eyes, because there's some locations that you're like, oh, yeah, there's that. And maybe those locations will also show up again in the next movie, too. He's back to back. He is making these one after the other. We are just a month after in 1973 in April. This does not ever play in uh, in Spain. We'll get to that for a reason. It was very rejected in Britain, uh, very infamously. So this is a film called How to Seduce a Virgin. One of the most like this is these are kind of one of those surprise things coming up that you're like, all right, all right. You know, you can kind of almost like with Jess, you can almost tune out at times to not realize that the next thing is going to be like just stellar. And I think this is a perfect way to go off of like the Eugenie films that we've been watching. This is we're back with a sadistic couple. And this one starts really interesting because it starts with a woman coming off of out of a psychiatrist, coming out of being locked away in a sanitarium. 
like most of these movies that we've seen, those are our heroine who are going to follow through the movie. They're going to be subjected to all sorts of things. Not so for this woman because she gets home. Well, yeah, well, you know, who knows? Surprises abound. This is a an atypically twisty journey for a Jess Franco film. Yeah, she. It's an interesting misdirection that I he the follow up film also I think utilizes where we think we're getting the victim. In fact, when we visit her cool ass basement in her house, she's got people frozen in looks of terror in statued poses all over the place real people real people and you're like really just women she's mostly mostly just got ladies frozen in terror um can't blame her (laughs) i'll be also just real quick the french title for this because i wish it was always just called this because the french the original title is uh which is just pleasure for three which yeah. I like way better than How to Seduce a Virgin. But I will say, because this movie, I think, also gets missed on how funny it is pretty often, How to Seduce a Virgin does set you up better to not feel overly serious yeah. with what's going on and to realize how funny it is. Well, there, in, like you said, there are some funny parts. Like, So when we, we then soon meet her husband, who, uh, you know, lives there in this house with their... Uh, mentally divergent um, sex slave played by Lena Romay. Yeah, Lena's first big role. Truly her boy, first what big a, role. What a role. Fucking lives for it. And also I love, I've never been able to find confirmation of this, but once I read that thing of her talking about um, not it not working in Relax Baby and how nervous she was, I, I wonder if her and Jess we're like, you know, just getting drunk one night. And he was like, what about for your first role? How about this? Uh, you're going to do some really crazy sex stuff, but also you can't talk. I just need you to rub lipstick on your face and make some weird Run. sounds. How's yeah. that sound? And she's like, oh, hell, dude, I got you. <laughs> yeah. And she, uh, boy, does she deliver in this movie. Because so good. This couple at the beginning, yeah, this couple at the beginning of the movie, they are like our Eugenie couple that we've seen before. And there's a woman or a young girl that moves in next door and they plot to seduce her into their sadomasochistic sex games uh, as soon as her parents leave town. And in truly one of the funniest scenes thus far in the Franco world. So the scene is, is that they're watching, the couple is watching this girl uh, undress through their window they have binoculars and everything and they're watching her and they start to you know pleasure each other while they're watching and then eventually they need to get lena their sex slave in on it too so they just become this writhing pulsating thruple touching each other watching this happen just at the window while they trade binoculars back and forth (laughs) well they trade binoculars back and forth and then they notice that she's going out and they're like, oh, my God, she's leaving. We need to go. We need to go intercept. So they hustle their asses like Laurel and Hardy to, like, get out of the house and, like, tuck their shirt in and, like, somehow pretend that they were just having a little stroll through the evening, you know, down the road so that they can intercept this girl 
with her friend. And no, mostly we've seen these libertines kind of uh, operating in very, you know, serious, twisted, perverted fashion. And this is the first time, like, he's clearly having a laugh at how, like, desperate and pathetic that yeah. they are. And that's why it's fun, because this is already the umpteenth time Jess is referring, ref, uh, revisiting Desaad's philosophy in the boudoir. But you can tell that this time when he reread it again, probably for the millionth time, he was like, I forgot how fucking funny this shit is. Let's do that this time. <laughs> Absolutely. And he, yeah, I guess we can't really spoil where it goes, but let's just say that it, it, it yeah, you know, if you've been on this journey, you can, yep. you can guess where it's going to go. But, uh, or maybe you can't because that ending. It's, it's really, and it, it has proven to be, it's interesting, a little bit sticky amongst Jess Franco fans. And I didn't realize this till I was digging around on the internet today, but without spoiling what happens, some people feel that uh, what I was praising so much with uh, something like uh, Diary of Nymphomaniac, they feel that where this one lands undoes a lot of that uh, goodwill they felt towards how uh, Jess portrays women in his films. I think, uh, again, he is just having fun laughing at Marquis de Sade and the world of people like this. And I think it's weird if your high horse is uh, to get upset about the representation of uh, billionaires who just lure young women in to torture and ultimately kill them. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe, also maybe stick around to the end of the movie. Oh, that's what they're saying. No, they say the ending. That's what undoes it? Yes. Oh fuck! Everything up to it, um, and to be fair, w- without spoiling it, this is the first time this happens so far in the Jess Franco journey. Uh, A little where, bit in journey, I'm sorry to but not not quite to this level. Like, no, with, no, 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 no. With a truly like little wrapped up bow. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think I think folks are just also taking this movie a little bit too serious. Um, yeah, chill out. Uh, one, it's. It, I think it's good too to highlight who wrote this one, Alain Petit. Um, he will come back later. Which one I, I'm salivating to get to because we're gonna have so much fun with Midnight Party. He also wrote that one for Jess. Um, he's also weirdly an actor. He's like uh, Ogroff the Mad Mutilator. He's got mm-hmm. a weird. Yeah, it's that fucking dude. I never realized it till today. But um, yeah, I mean this this movie does an incredible job of doing what Jess is so good at where you truly arouse and entice the viewer and pull you into the world. And I also think that's why people react so strongly to the ending because this movie does successfully both turn you on and make you laugh and make you a little confused and grossed out often within the same couple seconds, I think, which is pretty amazing. Well, if they don't think that there's morals in this movie, I would highly recommend them to study it a little closer because weirdly he is landing on a moralistic kind of idea at the end of this movie. So, uh, so anyway, I have my one complaint for the first time ever with this movie that happened this time. I can't believe it, but I actually think this is one of the only times I'm a little disappointed in the music. Okay. I don't think it's Notice, but I I don't think it's as enticing as the images are, which is interesting. Maybe it's on purpose. I don't know. Well, this could have been the problem that a certain Lord Longford truly felt about the movie, because we mentioned this movie had a little bit of trouble 
ever getting seen when it came out. It was banned by the BBFC um, after they asked for a, an X rating. So in 1974, BAM rejected. 75 was resubmitted to the the Greater London Council. And uh, it was part of a Christian moral referendum going on at the time with this guy, Lord Longford, kind of predating another moral referendum with movies coming about less than 10 years later. And three movies were chosen. I haven't seen these other movies. We're not going to get into them, but uh, something called Erotic Inferno and Hot Acts of Love. And then I'm so disappointed in myself. I don't know what hot acts of love is. I'll be looking that up when we're done. Come to a Patreon and we'll get into what (laughs) Inferno of hot acts of love are. Yeah. How to seduce a virgin did not uh, appease this Lord Longford. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm so upset. It sounds like bullshit names. These fucking, it, it always does. These stooges who truly try to like, uh, you know, bring things back to Puritan days. Their names are always so silly. Anyway, so that this movie was met with a, a lot of uh, censoring and outcry. Well, I'll just say that if you are a fan of like Mystery of the Wax Museum or the remake House of Wax or one of my favorite, one of our favorites, uh, Middle of the Stone Women, uh, we're, you're in that territory. So we do also get the first finally penis chop in the jess verse we will get many more but we finally get a dick being chopped in this one and it's awesome (laughs) bye bye hog bye bye hog so now we're gonna move on to the next movie he shot probably weeks after well they actually improvised i learned this today i didn't know they improvised this movie during shooting how to seduce a virgin they were like what there's hanging out and came up with another movie (laughs) and you know it kind of you can kind of feel that like you can kind (laughs) of feel this improvisatory quality or this kind of even more hazy quality for a jess film and i i love this movie and that is uh 1973's countess perverse which is going to be jess's loose remake of uh the great uh book and film the most dangerous game about (laughs) people that hunt yeah an island where people you know take strays that get washed up ashore and then they hunt them for sport um this was uh i don't know was this ever i think this only came out in france in september of 74 Later, a couple of years later, it came out in Belgium, but they tried to make it a hardcore film and they tried to um, insert a lot of uh, hardcore stuff into it, which is so weird, and changed it to The Munchers. Yeah, Sexy Nature, The Munchers, which we will get into on the Patreon. It it ruins it in so many ways, but it's a hell of a great time. (laughs) Yeah, it's very weird. Now, this is the first movie where we are going to see Lena get a real shot and uh, not just uh, squeaking and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. She sounds less like a sick cat in this one and uh, more like an actress. So Lena, uh, this movie starts with, uh, like I said, a little misdirection starts with a couple looking out across the sea. And you know, the movie is about 
a couple that enslaves people and hunts them and rapes them and shit. So, and he, he spoiler eats them. So you're like, well, there it is right off rip. And, and it's the, it's the same people, uh, from the last movie. Uh, one of the woman who was the object, the Virgin in the title is now married to Robert Woods character, who was the man trying to catch her. And so they're now married in this movie. So it's fine. <laughs> Which you know, it, you could look at this almost. Oh, it tracks. It is a sequel. This is kind of a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're li- yeah, they're you. You start to think, oh, are they? Is this that couple? Well, no, not really. They they discover a woman getting washed up shore, and you're like, Whew, rubbing the sweat off my brow. They're fine. They're not the sadistic couple I thought they were. They've rescued this poor woman who's telling them about this island where they were made to be hunt for sport and eaten and all these horrible things were done to them well you know turns out your suspicions maybe at the beginning were a little right and these are a couple that helps procure women for the sadistic couple on this island uh played by howard vernon as count zaroff and uh the lovely alice arno as countess by the way in this era finally really gets to go off She's always great in all his movies, but in How to Seduce a Virgin and Countess especially, you can tell how much fucking fun she's having. She loves, she lives for this shit. Yeah. yeah. So this is a, a shot on a location that we have already seen once before. Damn, now I'm kind of forgetting which one that was. Oh, shit. Because, like, it's a, yeah. it's a lesser <laughs> one. It's one where you're like, oh, well, at least that's there. Keep talking. Oh, oh, it's in She Killed in Ecstasy. Duh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is that weird house and island we saw, She Killed in Ecstasy. And um, we don't need to go into any more of the plot, but because I think you get it at this point. But yeah, Lena eventually gets sent to the island. Yeah. Yes, they uh, they are really excited about Lena, similar to in the last one. They're like, this girl is perfect. And Howard Vernon has great lines about how yummy she will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howard Vernon also like you get it, it's same as the last one. This one is allowed to have a lot of comedy amongst the sadism, which is really fun. Um, but it's clearly natural. Like the, it's obvious there's not a script, but in a good way, I think, because um, these people are just spending so much time together. They've become like a weird theater troupe. <laughs> They're like, let's just keep making these movies. And it, it also has one of my favorite lines that I guess could you could say is the easiest way to sum up Franco's career in one sentence, which is reject nothing that gives pleasure. <laughs> yeah, that should be hanging above the production office. <laughs> Let's tattoo that on our foreheads at the end of this. Yeah, like Jared Leto's Joker. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it also the like the it has like haunted house music, which yeah. is sick. Like that, it's been a while since we've done that. Uh, and the editing again, shout out to Gerard Kikouin, Um, because the editing of this movie, which I'm sure was not easy since there was no script and they were clearly just fucking around on this island for a while. Um, the editing's amazing because it really discombobulates you. Um, yeah, to that, that journey to the island. That. Yeah, the journey <laughs> to the island is really like, whoa, I'm looped out watching this here yeah it it makes you feel a little woozy but in a nice way so um because we got a lot to get to today we can't stay on count count as perverse for too long we're 
Let's start. We're, yeah, what's next here? We got uh, an <laughs> unreleased movie, Mystery of the Red Castle. We can't stay much on this, except it was sounds a little like Girl from Rio, maybe pointing towards something like Sex Was Crazy later. Uh, so we're not going to really go into that. But there's a, a movie that was shot here that, uh, that we will never get to see. So it's just a shame because this one, there's a few stills from it. And it's like, I would see this. Oh, it looks, it looks, well, anything in this era where they're just cooking this hard. I'm like, give me, give me all of them, you know? Right. So we don't get that, but what we do get, (laughs) oh boy, uh, 1973, uh, in June, that summer, we have two movies here. We're going to talk about together. Um, they are the, uh, attempts at kind of reviving the massiste genre, the peplum film. That's my anyone who was at the marathon last year. We showed Machiste in Hell, one of the silent film versions of this. Yes, it's Machiste in French, but Machiste Italian. Okay, it's supposed to be a strong man, and uh, clearly Jess and his buds were like, "Yeah, yeah, we can do that for sure. We've got a a twink (laughs) to play the strong man." What we have here is the guy that you're going to have to keep wondering. Wait, so he's supposed to be Machiste? Yeah. Yes. Interesting. So if you haven't seen those films, basically very loosely, this is a dude, a, a, a dude that has been alive throughout history, like the universe's history, who goes to different places, sometimes hell, sometimes time travels, whatever, and is a strong man that saves the day uh, for different people. It's, it's super loose. Most of them are terrible. Uh, Most are buried, very bad. Them. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, they kicked off the strong man, like sword and sandal kind of thing way back in the silent film days but for some reason this yeah. producer wanted just to bring this shit back one more time one of, one of italy's most mass-produced first like genres before yeah. uh, spaghetti westerns and giallos and all that shit's gonna come in so he's having a little fun here and the two movies that we're talking about is one called the lustful amazon and the other one's called les glutones translated to the gluttons for sake of time we're gonna wrap them all up together here it's so hard. Lustful. Well, lustful Amazon's a little easier for me to move past because yes. to me, this is the one where he hasn't really quite figured out what he wants to do yet. Uh, you get to see him as he's fuck a group of Amazonians, which is like an insane number who uh, all are forcing him to try to impregnate them. And it's so funny with like crazy, like chaos, silly music, especially while Lena is banging him. If you want to feel like you were with this troop of movie makers who were partying together, all sleeping together, just in love with life and having a great time. And one day they got too drunk and were like, this would be so silly if we did this. That's this movie. So it's like pure pleasure if you can just watch them having a great time. Because like there's a there's a naked fight scene with like uh, Machiste's comical penis just bouncing around while Alice Arno just like kind of punches him in the stomach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he, yeah, he beats right. his chest. So the first one we're talking about, yeah, well, there's also a werewolf. Yeah, there's a werewolf. Um, the werewolf want- from Dracula, Prisoner of Frankenstein might show back up for a second. Do you want me to not get into Wall Davis on yep. here and Let's save not. it? Patreon? Let's save it. Okay, everyone. Because we're well, we're just we're a little over right now. So, Paul <laughs> okay. Davis has an insane story, and we'll get into it on the Patreon. Um, yeah. One of the the greatest reactions to 
anything I've ever heard. And he's yeah. in this movie. So we'll get into so, it with the gluttons. Okay. So the better, yes, the better of the two is the gluttons here. Les Glutones. This is a movie that is just as silly and as campy as the lustful Amazon. However, one little more Lena in this one, playing a character named Bianca. Interesting. Queen of the Night shows back up. Also interesting. But more importantly, our favorite. Yeah, that's right. Cagliostro is back. The yep. sick-ass Howard Vernon wizard who uh, we last saw in Erotic Rites of Frankenstein. And he is back kind of... Uh, entering this world that machiste has entered from the previous movie he's kind of hanging around this island looking for alice arno again she's now the queen of atlantis um which sorceress there's a fucking mercenary this is the one where he's also someone in the modern day just reading about all of this and masturbating and people drop by to fuck Um, Uh, yeah alice arno is just reading this stuff masturbating in bed it's uh steven the way steven Toro talks about this is perfect because you can feel him bursting with enthusiasm and he basically says he was like look if you are a card carrying member of the cult of franco this how does he describe he says this is a soothing hit of valium this will this will make all your dreams come true you will be in heaven every moment if you are not and you're just getting into it it's probably going to ruin your day <laughs> and you're going to be furious and it yeah. won't make any sense but i god damn we love this movie it's biggest so- surprise for me thus far this is by far the biggest surprise where i was like don't know what this is oh, i'm so in, pumped for you to get here <laughs> i put put it on in the middle of the night because i couldn't sleep and it was like a perfect 4 a.m watch i've never felt so locked into like some hazy i don't even know how much you could call this a working film but it just it does it has a certain uh alchemy to it that we've talked about and it it really worked for me and cagliostro we are we're always here for that that guy and if you liked what he did in erotic rights let's just say that he's gonna uh resurrect some of his old friends and he's a, I didn't know this either, but the producer, Robert Zanelli or Nelsie or however you say it, that he's been working with, apparently Jess made this as a gift to him because they were just having so much fun. He was like, surprise, we did another one. Here you go. Well, it feels like yeah. a gift, like the look, look of it, the atmosphere. It just, it's, it's a, it's a, yeah, I don't know if it's a perfect movie, but along this journey, this has been kind of a perfect experience for something new for me. In this journey it so. is an experience it's not a movie this is it this is an experience well, and uh this is the Franco, he's, his shit's like music most of the time yep, yep. agree that's when he works so for yeah the original time. cut is lost so we can't ever do that but um it was originally called let's see uh the erotic exploits of machiste in atlantis and that is lost so all we have is this but it's fucking amazing and as john said earlier we get our first cum shot uh but it, but it's clearly a bottle of lotion that someone just. Well, actually, it's probably like icing because they all lick it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's definitely it's awesome, though. It's so awesome. Yeah. Um, well, whatever it is, it's uh, it's there and it's all over Alice uh, or not Alice, someone that sorceress <laughs> lady. Yeah, I forget her name. Either way, big weird uh, moisturizing so load. But save this. 
until if if the tuning fork is going off for you that we keep talking about, then hell yeah, jump into the shit. But if if you are if you're just beginning the journey and you're not sure and you're not obsessed with Franco, save this puppy till you are because it'll be worth it to give it to yourself as a gift then. Yeah, and if you're a Patreon member and this is a very hard movie to find, oh, you know how to find, you know where to find us. So, next movie, moving along here, we're cooking, baby. Masterpiece theater, good yeah, God. Yeah, if we've not had a great time before now, you you're definitely gonna have a good time. This is the kind of movie if you can't get with this, then I don't think you can continue the journey. And you know, maybe you're you're just. Uh, you're just cut out for uh, television shows or something. <laughs> Maybe you just prefer generally Mo Franco more than you do Jess Franco. That could be the case. And uh, this is a movie shot another month after these last ones in August of 73. <laughs> Doesn't come out in uh, Spain till 76. Uh, this is a film called Al Otro Lado del Espejo otherwise known as the other side of the mirror. We'll be focusing on the Spanish version. The original cut will get into the obscene mirror on the Patreon. Um, it's also important to note that uh, a lot of Franco experts think that this movie didn't come out until it did, even though it's rather tame in the world of Franco. Uh, didn't come out till it did because uh, the other Franco, the evil man running Spain, dies in 1975. And... Yep. We had a lot of trouble with censors. So the reign of Franco is finally over when this comes out. Yeah. This is a movie starring the amazing uh, Emma Cohen. Um, oh. another, uh, these just amazing finds by Franco. Uh, she's amazing. And you kind of almost wish that she were the virgin of the title and how to seduce a virgin. But she's amazing. Yeah. Because he saw uh, so she comes for you movie heads out there. Uh, Franco was seeing her in Eloy de la Iglesia's movies Glass Ceiling uh, and Cannibal Man. And then she's also in uh, Horror yep. Rise from the Tomb, Carlos Allred. Right. Yep. That is true. Yeah. This movie is uh, very much in the zone that we have been hitting in uh, briefly. The beginning where this movie goes. It's one woman named Anna is living in this mansion with her father, played by Howard Vernon. They just seem to have a nice relationship that he's probably a widower and she's keeping him company there so it seems and uh she meets a young man at one point uh who i have to get the name of this correctly because i think it's a dig uh the character's name well he's played by wild davis and his name in the movie this young man is um valdemar wolfart now We'll get to maybe his competition <laughs> in Spain at the time, a certain Mr. Paul Nashi, but this guy likes to call his very famous Wolfman character Valdemar. So it's very interesting that Valdemar Janensky instead Valdemar Gen of Valdemar Wolfart. <laughs> yeah, definitely Valdemar Wolfart. They didn't <laughs> like each other. So childish. I love it very deeply. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to their relationship and maybe what they think of each other, but Right now, that should give you a good idea. So he meets this Valdemar Wolfart, and uh, they they decide to get married. And uh, she goes to tell her father, Howard Vernon, that she's going to get married. And then he is clearly distraught. 
he says, you're going to leave me. You're going to leave me finally. I knew this was going to happen. So then Wolf Fart goes to get his uh, the blessings from Howard Vernon. Howard Vernon's pissed. And Howard Vernon says, fine, just get it over with as soon as possible. Just get your damn marriage over. Um, so she uh, gets her wedding dress. She shows it to her aunt, who also lives with them, her sweet, lovely aunt. And the aunt says, oh, go show your father. He's going to love, he's mad at you now, but he's going to love this. He was always obsessive and selfish. Just go, when he sees you in this beautiful bride's gown, then he's going to love it. So she goes upstairs to show him and she doesn't see him. She's looking for him. She looks in a mirror and sees reflected behind her that he has hung himself. And he's kind of hanging there ghostly. So that sends her spiraling. She breaks up with Wolf Fart. And she jets off around the world, kind of uh, giving you vibes of sinner. And uh, we see her try to hold relationships with men. And uh, when she gets real close, uh-oh, spooky, the ghost of Howard Vernon appears in mirrors. And she seems to see another netherworld through the mirror that is some of the most psychedelic. And not like crazy color psychedelic. I'm talking like this digs deep into dream territory yeah no, this is actually this is like true blue you don't need the colors or the the spinning shit to be into the psyche it's very powerhouse filmmaking um because when she runs away the one thing she can do that gives her joy is play improvisational jazz and there's an, an astonishing sequence uh where they're improving and she's just fucking shredding on the piano and then catches sight of a mirror at this bar they're playing at. And this painfully slow, believe it or not, was just a, a, a slow zoom <laughs> uh, happens as we're led to believe she's pulled in to somewhere else. Yeah. Because of this mirror. And um, it's maybe, even though we keep saying it, this might be the most uh impossible for mr lynch to fight with us about on this one because uh she there goes to the no, she goes to the nowhere place yeah let's not say what exactly but there oh, is I know, but she, yeah there is a mulholland drive uh maybe even more inland empire and also very much twin peaks again again yeah again. Oh, sure like, oh, well, fire walk with me not the show no, 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 absolutely. Fire walk with me for sure. That's what that's um, what I mean. Yeah. There is a, as compared to if you change the mirror into a painting, fire walk with me heads will know that moment we're talking about something eerily similar and just as effective in both cases happens. I think they're pretty well linked. Uh, a certain I would have to it would be so hard for me to pick between Inland Empire in this and Fire Walk with me in this. They're kind of all over. I mean, they're they're all very explicitly tied. I mean, you have this mirror stuff you're talking about. You have uh, with Mulholland Drive this sort of identity thing ending in a theater. Mm. Uh, you have this very clear universe hopping of Inland Empire, yep. of a character shuffling through the dark nighttime nether worlds that exist somewhere in our subconscious somewhere in the ether of the universe and this movie goes there and 
We'll just leave it there because this is I one, have to, one more thing I have to address before we move on. Just have to. I promise it's worth it. One of the theories with this movie, too, is why something isn't answered, which is why does her father react that way? Yeah. To the news. We don't, I don't want to get into it. I kind of want to avoid this, but sorry, sorry. we're going to, we're moving on. There's a lot of jazz in this movie. There's we'll so much jazz in this movie. And you might think, am I just watching performances this whole movie? But there's, the music is used very beautifully in this in that it lulls you into that state. So when certain moments happen, they do seem like, whoa, 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 what? Like you do feel, he's trying to get you more in this character's mindset of not, knowing these things are going to come out of nowhere and the the title the, the titles the fonts at the beginning is a kind of funny uh i don't know if jess put those in there to make the titles look like we're about to watch the most like drive-in horror movie ever or if and i think so because the credits at the end are that way too like i think it's well it works for it because you're not getting a horror uh, movie but you're getting something pretty horrific and definitely ghostly so anyway our highest recommendation to uh the other side of the mirror and we're gonna we've spent too much time probably on this masterpiece i'll, I'll read this quote for the end of the episode because it works at large for a lot of yeah. stuff we're talking about so right. let's so, go to the next masterpiece yeah damn another masterpiece here um this one you might have seen this is a much more uh seen uh franco movie probably due to those shitty redemption blu-rays back in the day hey. more than no, no, no. More the covers. It's the cover. I, those Redemption Blu-rays are some of the ugliest covers That's true. in the world. And they do not make you want to watch the movie. But uh, especially this one, which is very not uh, what the cover of that that Blu-ray suggests. Uh, this is Female Vampire, otherwise known as the Bare-Breasted Countess. And it's also the real title. Female Vampire is a bullshit fake title used crappy. to sell it. Yes, Bare-Breasted Countess is where you, what you want. Uh, there's a hardcore version called The Swallowers, which we'll get to eventually in some other names. Uh, another great title for the German hardcore version, Lustful Vampires in Semen Rush. Yeah. That's it was awesome. real trashy in the 70s. Once, yeah, because Franco's, at this point, Franco the dictator is very sick. And so things are literally already loosening in Spain because the people who are taking over in his stead are already loosening things up. Um so yeah, shit gets real trashy, and we'll talk about Eroticill, the quote-unquote horror version, on the Patreon. Yeah. So we'll spend uh, a little time here, since this is probably the, one of the more known, um, and this is maybe not like the movie you want to start with, even though it's the most known. It is a movie that seems like it's going to be deceptively a smooth, easy ride down. But I think you do have to get a little more attuned to really let this movie uh, do its thing. It star. I mean, if, so this stars Lena Romay. This is the first movie where Lena Romay is the main star. It's kind of what we'll focus on here is that this is where Franco, the beginning of this movie, you see a man, whether in nice ways or, you know, slutty ways, he is looking lovingly at this character walk out of the fog in the very beginning of the movie in their uh countess outfit but they are naked their titties are out big bush he sees he spends that camera studying her eyes her breasts and then that 
a big old fro bush, which <laughs> our, my, our man loves. He loves the pussy. So <laughs> he is, uh, he's, I mean, that opening does look very gynecological and you can make lots of jokes in regards to Franco and how that zooming and everything goes. But to me, and probably to you too, Will, knowing what we know and Lena, I, I find that to be kind of a lovely opening. I mean, you're wanting that camera think, to fall in love with her. 100% of this movie. I think the best way to watch this film in your head is that even though and a, a point we'll get to in a minute that is kind of funny and sad for another party involved in this but i can't think of very many movies where you literally see someone behind and in front of the camera as they are falling truly truly madly deeply in love with each other and the reason lena's performance seems like it's from someone who's been acting you know for 20 years and it's so good is because she's performing only for one person she's performing for jess she's in love with him and his vision and everything they have done so far she's performing directly to him and he's only shooting this movie for himself yeah and it's it's amazing and it's so romantic and you can feel it in every moment his the way his camera is functioning and the way her acting is functioning it's just because they love each other so deeply even if they can't say it yet. <laughs> yeah. And this is a, a movie about a female vampire who uh, <laughs> kind of, who doesn't suck blood necessarily. She sucks dick. <laughs> and she loves sucking dick almost to the detriment that she can't make a connection. <laughs> because here's the thing. This is uh, a, the, this character goes off at the very beginning, one of the most beautiful openings ever. It's mesmerizingly beautiful. Meets a young man. She goes straight to Gucken, and suddenly he lets out a cry of terror. Is he nutting? <laughs> Is she biting the vein on his penis? I don't know, and we're never going to know. Thankfully, we don't get shots of, like, bloody dicks or anything like that. I mean, it, I would love that, but we'll get it later. So, no, The normal people don't want to see... Uh, a man's erect penis bit through. So I, okay. So anyway, <laughs> you don't see it. It's all kind of suggested. And Which is great in this movie. I agree. I would not want that in this movie. Yeah. It, Cause be, they would take away the poetry and it would become oh. just that dumb crap that you like to play in theater too. So, <laughs> so this is not a gore hound movie. <laughs> this is not all gruff mad monster that we referenced <laughs> earlier. No, this is uh sensuous classics that i think like you do need to get through some more of the franco verse before this movie is gonna do it for you but this might then become your favorite franco movie beautiful in the right scenes. Space, it will enrapture you truly because i like I, Vampiros, Lesbos, you're gonna love this movie yeah but yeah. it's but it's different because there's more like the i've made the mistake of showing people this movie too early before Same. and the most common thing i've heard is that like well the the sex stuff is kind of boring you know and like there's too much of it or whatever um but i think one again once that tuning fork goes off it couldn't be more the opposite you're going to be like the character another side of the mirror where you just disappear for however long this movie is because you have such an intense experience with it yeah you will be it's sucked so into beautiful. this movie no like we're not kidding there you're going you'll go deep into this movie once you give it some time um 
it's so, again an interesting i think exploration of people who like jess himself and like lena um now that they're finding as they fall in love who are endlessly fascinated by um folks who can't resist anything that is pleasurable and so much so that it takes over their life and then maybe as a result they can't form relationships and they're trapped they're kind of trapped in that forever and this is a really interesting exploration of using the vampire mythology um to to explore if that was just sex instead of blood yeah you know and yeah. it's been really it's 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 again pretty melancholy we're in a melancholy streak even though there's a lot of joy here because of them falling in love this is a pretty sad movie also um yeah I it's think. a it's a sad movie i think like where it goes with her and the jack taylor character is is rather sad and um but then it also goes it it decides to give you those francoisms and it dips into sort of a non sequitur of uh oh you've just ended up in a in a sadist house a murderous sadist house how's this gonna play yep. well it's uh it doesn't end up so well for the person that captures lena romay right and uh it feels kind of similar to those scenes in vampiros lesbos where uh franco is this weird murderer in the basement of this hotel um, he, he also delivers the line that that we won't spoil trying to explain what kind of vampire she is and what she does and it's hilarious it's very funny uh dr orloff's back baby check dr. your orloff's dr orloff back. yeah drink for dr orloff right there <laughs> back there's a, there's a silly little easter egg that is sad for one person so in this cut that you can see right um bare breasted countess that if you have the blu-ray and hit play this is what you'll see uh it's not hardcore right the sex it can you know everyone's very very naked but it's not it's not going into that territory but there is one moment of on-screen blowjob briefly and what's really sad with what we're talking about as jess and lena fall head over heels for each other the penis that you're seeing is lena's current husband <laughs> i was like man it's crazy that they all stayed friends after that too because i'm like man that had to hurt bad well and he <laughs> well and he also has them fucking in the uh the other cut of uh other side of the mirror which we'll get to on a yeah. on a patreon the obscene mirror but yeah no they're uh yeah like jess is that twit he's been reading too much to sod where he was like man this person that i definitely want to spend my whole life with what if i got her to have sex with her current husband in all my movies that'd be cool <laughs> i gotta open a window it's hot very hot in here Ooh. oh my lord yeah Woo. so yeah this is that movie and uh he is <laughs> he's doing it and uh yeah it's around this time right that is this when they disappear we've got a little bit still but okay never mind then okay but yes no so this is uh you're but seeing it's, we're almost there yeah so we'll see what happens very soon with uh with Jess and Lena, but um, sparks are flying here. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Nope. I'm really again, we, we just I just can't highlight enough. Even though it's sad for this dude, it's a. I feel very lucky that they decided to share this movie with us. Truly, because you you rarely get to see in real time people falling in love that create art together. Yeah. It's amazing. 
And this you could almost look at as the actual closer to remake of the 30s Dracula's daughter than his previous yeah. Dracula's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that kind of hit me with the, the manservant, the mute manservant. Yeah. Well, yeah. The lesbian. But <laughs> definitely that original Dracula's daughter contains some pretty sadistic ass shit. Yeah was cut which is making me because apparently in that movie that character had like men chained to walls and like she was like had a guy on a leash pretty wild stuff for the 30s that they cut out but they also did that also it's so lesbian heavy that movie very so lesbian heavy and they you know similar to kind of another 30s horror movie the most dangerous game that movie had a lot of stuff cut out of it when they showed them Count Zarnoff's uh, collection of dead people. So it's weird. He's chosen these kind of two thirties movies to like, you know, find a sadistic way to like pull out those elements that were kind of had to be shied away from the original. Uh, it's a shame he never did an Isle of Lost Souls. Oh. As much as he loves Earl C. Kenton too, it's like, damn, that would have. Who knows? Maybe he talked about it. I know that at one point he was even trying to set up a, around this time a, an Invisible Man movie. Yeah. So he may have tried to go through the, the classic Universal movies. I'm, I'm, I would imagine his Invisible Man movie, though, to be something like the Japanese New Wave-ish ones that came out, uh, but mixed with sex films. And that's something I really want to see. It would have been the original Hollow Man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that that would that would be cool to think about. But moving on, because we have we had too much heat today. Sorry, folks. This is gonna be a long one, but we're gonna end. Oh, we're we're doing good. We're going on time. Okay. All right. I guess we are. So, but we're gonna wind up here <laughs> on the final movie of this episode, uh, a movie that uh, also could really benefit from a restoration. And yes. uh, here he's gonna get a little better at the giallo. This is probably closer to the Kremies that we talked yeah, about. This is more if we're gonna be uh mouse breathy about it. Yeah, <laughs> but who fucking cares? But it's even more than that. Like this is Gothic like the, the remake of a you know a twenties this time, universal horror movie, uh The Cat and the Canary. And this movie is called Night of the Skull. And it is uh yeah, if you know the the story of um of uh, the cat and the canary, then you're gonna get that obviously a little different here. Lawyer Crosby doesn't show up, the famous lawyer from those movies, but weirdly there's a character in Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff named Inspector Crosby. Yep. So. Jess was, a, Jess was uh, on the record for being a big Paul Linney fan, you know, so yeah. he, which Goddamn, I, I, you know, I, I will defend even the Paul Linney movies that aren't the best, but this is one of the best. His Cat in the Canary rips, but what Jess does and doesn't take from it is fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, he's chosen to kind of do it the way he wants to do it. I mean, it's uh, it's very much tied to, yeah, that Cat in the Canary, uh, another film he did called The Last Warning by Paul Linney. These great, yeah, I've seen that woman walks into that fucking cobweb. Oh fuck out of here <laughs> yeah so yeah this is very much just the plot of that a reading of the will a guy a, a lord dies weirdly in this one named lord marion what could that be from it's been a while since we've been there maybe we got to call our uh labias rojos girls see what's up 
Or okay. yeah, yeah, we're going back to the very beginning. We're going back to fucking we are eighteen and that thing we told you about that was very important, where a horror character named Lord Marion pops up. Well, he's back, baby. Except but yeah, if you if you've been listening from the start, the girls in We Are Eighteen have their fantasy novel that they're writing, and the horror character they write is Lord Marion. And now Jess is like, oh shit, I guess we should make it. <laughs> yeah, well, then and they are shooting at the very end of nineteen seventy three. This is uh, this is one of those films that is a lot better than you might think it would be, but it's it's just pretty straightforward and dealing with probably way too much plot that he yep. should not have to deal with because there are certain elements of the plot that never are seen through. <laughs> like clear things that were supposed to be reoccurring do not reoccur. Uh, certain things are just completely wrong. Like characters reappear. You're just like... Awesome. I don't think he cared. He just I think can't what, do it. He can't. He can't make films like that. He was in. I can see where his mind was because you can see it in other side of the mirror when those slow motion scenes of the character walking through the darkness reminds me a lot of The Whip in the Body by Mario Bava, and this movie along with stuff like um, Ricardo Freda's The Ghost. These kind mm-hmm. of really dim dimly shot movies movies almost shot in like pure darkness these are the movies that he's after these kind of gothic chillers your antonio margariti shit whatever you want to call it but this movie is bathed in like serious darkness and it's fun it's a the one of one of the things that's hardest though is the opening is so fucking strong and then it takes a bit for us to get more like that but it's good but i think kind of it's interesting too because i don't know enough of the background on this one um to know if his hands were tied on any of it as far as what he had to do because it almost feels like he's it's a bait and switch yeah. because we get like tingles of uh incest which tingles what, well but it doesn't it doesn't come to fruition in a very funny way that clearly he was like i know my audience they're gonna be stoked about this brother and sister ah. and then also with whipping stuff we get a little bit of a whipping but it's not little. quite what we get what we get to but it, i don't know if you it's lena like getting whipped it's yeah, lena getting I mean. whipped lena's yeah. playing the like if you've seen the 1939 bob hope version of cat mccary yeah. she's the paulette goddard character and she's getting yeah. whipped and yeah she's uh she's lo- lovely in it uh in the she's very good <laughs> playing a playing a straightforward role i gotta say i didn't i i didn't remember her being as good in this as she is yeah, I, I think that this is a movie that really, really needs to um, get uh, get remastered. I yeah. think like, that that flame death when yeah. it's remastered, and even just the mask too, um, which of course couldn't be more crimmy. The Very, oh, yeah. mask in this um, would look stunning, stunning. Like I really think this movie will come to life if we can get it. A nice, a nice uh, restoration of it. So hopefully someone will do that. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. I think we're going to, we're going to cap it here because we don't have much more to say. And we, we have a lot to get to. We have a lot more show to go, but we're going to do one more. We're going to take a little break, like we said, but there's a reason for that because we, there's so many movies. We have to watch them all so we can deliver these like on time for you. Um, And we've been very happy with some of the, uh, some of the uh, messages we've gotten from some of our listeners. So thank you to to all you. And uh, yeah, we'll take a break, but we're going to come back. But when we come back, 
we're going to do it the way we're doing it, but we might have some guests. Yeah. To help us round out uh, these different sections of his career. So I want to leave with this quote. Oh yeah. 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 Perfect. To, to close this out on Um, this is from the essay by Francesco Cesari and Roberto Curti. Um, in particular about the other side of the mirror but i think this is a lot it's a great quote just about jess that i think was a good thing to ruminate on at the end of this one is reminded of the conflicted relationship between the director and his father emilio the colonel as jess called him who had forbidden jess to play trumpet in in madrid's nightclubs and therefore had sent him as punishment to the escorial where Jesus, where Jess managed to set up a jazz ensemble at the Catholic College, nonetheless, as his sister told us. But then, why did his cinema never deal with the subject of dysfunctional relationships between father and son? It is likely that, as the hypersensitive child described by his relatives, Franco had perceived this type of dynamic at first in the relationship between his father and his older sister Lola, called Lolita almost a second mother to him and then as a filmmaker he entrusted to the he entrusted to the magical and thaumaturgical power of the imagination the task of freeing woman from the role that held her prisoner hence the choice at the end of the film to have anna wear a man's suit while she seduces the dark and handsome womanizer pipo who recklessly confesses to her i know i could be your father the catharsis is served wow well there you go we just served you up some serious catharsis. <laughs> we hope you're catharted. <laughs> yeah, I'm certainly am. All right, we got to get going. We have a show to do tonight. Bye, friends. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>